I'm Jane Wilcox, and you're listening to Shakrisiology, Girls Talking Church. Tell your girls a story, I won't tell you a lie. Anything you want, you can do it just fine. Come on. In this episode, the She Team picks up where we left off in the last episode on women in seasons of vocation. Kathleen Kahalen, in her book, Calling All Years Good, suggests that, quote, callings are discerned through relationships. They are mutually influencing and responsive to others, unquote. So for sure, the influence of those we are in relationship with and their spoken and unspoken responses are essential for women in early emergent periods of vocational ministry. We start off with Jen and myself sharing how faith communities and individuals have played a significant role in our discerning and affirming seasons of vacation. The SHE team finishes up with discussing ideas on what pastors and church leaders might do to acknowledge the gifts and callings of women in their congregations. One more mention before we begin. If there are individuals that have affirmed you and maybe even mentored you and made space for you to live out your gifts and calling in the church, We'd love for you to tell your story, both women and men. We'll send you a free anti-donut ministry t-shirt if you post your story on our Instagram account at Shaklesiology or on the Facebook listening community page. Just search for Shaklesiology Girls Talking Church. Okay, here we go. I can definitely point to a couple of different men who were intentional about creating spaces for me to to grow and to practice my gifts, for sure. One of them opened some professional doors, inviting me to be part of different groups that then, of course, opened further doors in terms of who I met there and what I learned there and how I grew. It was very generous of him. Mm. And I think it was a risk. I think he also had enough relationship with me that it was a calculated risk, right? It wasn't like, it wasn't an unknown, but for sure he, he used some of his positional or or relational capital to invite me into those spaces. And it made it, it, it's one of the reasons why I started blogging and Mm -hmm. which was really kind of my main vehicle for writing in my own voice, which opened additional doors for me back when blogs were more of a thing, you know, but connecting with people, kind of finding my tribe and finding my, my writing voice in some way. So that was all that I would have done that on my own if it it hadn't been tied to some of those things. And then another one invited me to speak at the largest conference for our little denomination of churches and be one of the, the main stage speakers gave me the topic of, it was something about how the way we read the Bible affects our participation in and our view of the culture wars. So I was like, thanks Ooh. for giving the, the <laughs> 35 year old woman, the easy topic. I'm really glad that like, there's no crossfire on that one for me to stand up and talk about that one. But that was a very rewarding experience. It was challenging. It definitely pushed me. And my parents were always quick to say, we see this new, or you're good at this, or, you know, that kind of a thing. Mm-hmm. And probably some close friends along the way. Unlike some of you all, I never had a real desire to do church ministry in any kind of a professional capacity. So that community was supportive in other ways, but it wasn't affirming of gifts in that area because I wasn't expressing a desire to do that. I didn't want to preach. I ended up doing all of those things along the way, but it wasn't any kind of a a passion. So I don't, I don't, I think my experience has been much more one-on-one instead of the larger faith community, I think equally valid, but maybe different because of the career 
I, to call it a trajectory would be honoring it. It's been a, it's been a, it's been a maze. It's been a career labyrinth, but there have been people who have been, who have been faithful to call out when they see me using my gifts. I can also say that whether it was my faith community or a mentor or whatever, there are specific individuals that really have affirmed my calling uh, along the way. And there's a couple of women and men some mentors, spiritual directors that have done that. I would say the one person, I was in my 20s <clears throat> and we were a part of local church where I began to understand what it meant to be a part of a faith community. There was a pastoral transition and the pastor that came in, um, I was part of a worship team. He identified, I had passion for it. He gave me a title it was a director, but not a pastor, but he called me out. He, he mentored me. He met with me regularly. I mean, I got my leadership legs in, in that place. And then he invited me to preach. I mean, I was probably a 28 year old, which young, right? No seminary yet, nothing. And I remember, I remember he was going to be away between Christmas and New Year's and someone needed to preach for that Sunday. I spent the week studying, of course, and preparing. And I gave that sermon and it was a joy. And I did not see that coming. I was just studying Aww. and giving a sermon and I have to give him credit. It was a risk. Mm -hmm. I was, you know, kind of ornery, kind of a... <laughs> kind of? Kind of. <laughs> not a complete troublemaker, but pretty close. <laughs> he wasn't going to be there. You know, I mean, Keith was there to kind of keep things under control. So I didn't have to start fires. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, that was, I mean, so he was, you know, one of the very first people to, again, just give me an opportunity, right? That I didn't, I didn't even know. I, I, and I, I can't, either I don't remember, or I don't know why, because there were plenty of other guys that could have done it. <clears throat> Young guys, same age as me. So, mm -hmm. yeah. So men out there listening. Mm -hmm. Thank you. If I could begin to explain how affirming and validating that is, just that one opportunity mm -hmm. can really change mm. the direction of ladies' vocations. Kahalen says in, again, her book, Calling All Years Good. Isn't that an excellent title, by the way? Calling All Years Good. It's mm -hmm. good stuff. She says, the call to ministry is fundamentally to support the callings of everyone in the community. Just take that in for a moment. The call to ministry, church leaders, your call to ministry is fundamentally to support the callings of everyone in the community. Mm -hmm. so those in secular vocations, I don't know if that's a fair term, but those in secular vocations, whether you're a fireman or a teacher, it is also to call them to whatever their vocation is and making sure that they are doing it in a way that allows the entire creation to flourish, right? That that's doing the work of God in the world. But it's also for those women in churches that have a pastoral calling or a ministry calling and to identify them, call them out, validate them, regardless of view on women in ministry. Okay. That could be a little risky. So as women, I think the four of us would encourage pastors to, to affirm and recognize and mentor women. So Ladies, what are our ideas that we can offer to pastors, church leaders that have some influence into women's lives to help them intentionally validate and recognize 
and mentor women in their vocational calling, particularly in ministry. Do you have any ideas that we can offer folks? So it's a tricky question to answer because, and maybe this is just me being like glass half empty, but when, when I thought about this question, I thought, well, so much of it hinges on what rooms women are allowed to be in. Cause my first yeah. thought was invite more women into more spaces. So just as I got, mm-hmm. I was invited into some spaces, I was asked to be on this board, or I was asked to be on this working group, or I was asked to contribute an article to this publication. Those were all relatively theologically low risk things because they weren't in the local church. They were in parachurch mm-hmm. world, which mm-hmm. is much more welcoming. You know, you can, yeah. Annie Crosby can write a hymn. She just can't stand up and read the lyrics of the hymn, right? So I've said for years, one of the best ways women can preach is by writing. Um, mm. But I, so, so some of it, I think hinges on like, because I, I would want to say, well, bring some of the women that you think have leadership capacity or not even leadership the way we define it in the business world, but have a gift who have something to contribute in some way, invite them into the, the leadership team meeting or yeah. the, the people who lead the service of the, of the church. But then I'm immediately stopped short by thinking, well, some congregations, you can't, you can't do that as a woman. So it's, it's yeah. not helpful to suggest that. I mean, I still need to be invited in. I think they should be allowed to do it, but so I don't know how we get around that. How do we, mm-hmm. I guess we just have to be mindful of the, the places we're in, mm-hmm. you know, it's not helpful to suggest inviting women to, to learn from the elders. If they're not ever going to be able to be an elder, that's not helpful. That's not a helpful suggestion, yeah. but I, I think the more that we can with whatever the limitations of our circumstances are, the more we can invite more women, especially young women and women of color into some of those conversations and those spaces, we're all going to be better off for it. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I just want to say too, that even starting with something like, okay, so shadow the elder, you're, you're not allowed in my church to be an elder, but you know, we'll create this other space for you so that you can shadow the elders and do the same work. And while that feels on one level, not good enough, I will say this about the the winding path and the struggle and the fight that my vocation has sometimes felt like because of resistance to women in ministry, that that also can be a gift. I remember saying at my ordination that people kept saying, oh my goodness, Christiane, it's about time. You know, it took so long for you to finally get ordained. Like, we're so glad that this finally happened. And I thought, you know, in some ways that was a gift because it forced me to go back to God and go back to myself again and again and again and say, is this truly my calling? is this truly my calling? And so Mm. my connection with God and my awareness of myself is so much stronger. Like it will not be moved Mm. now because I had to struggle and continue to discern. And when I faced resistance, I had to stand and I had to be patient and I had to wait and I had to step forward when I could. And I had to stop when I needed to stop (laughs) And because of all of that, I am sure, so sure, so sure of who I am and who God Mm. has called me to be. And that's a gift. And, and so even like, even opening up positions for women that don't feel good enough or don't feel just because it's not, because it's not real or true, but that still can be a gift because it is an opportunity. And 
it's perhaps creating opportunities for women down the line, even if that, even if that woman at that moment is not being given all that she should be given, it could be a gift to a future generation because, because we're beginning to make progress. So, you know, even the, even the battles that we have to fight can be a good thing. Mm. I mean, some of those battles just leave you bitter, but. Yeah. If, if we're not working on ourselves, like, I think that's the other thing is the other thing I've learned is even in my woundedness and bitterness and anger, I need to learn how to like the psalmist pour that out in front of God and ask for the maturing in me and the sanding off of the rough edges maybe. (laughs) And yeah, that also has been a gift. Yeah. Yeah. I think that makes me think of the importance of telling, telling our stories of having been left out, overlooked, not considered. And so I, I think my suggestion would be, and not to put it on women that, you know, go and tell your stories, though we need to tell our stories, but pastors, go find those stories. Those women are out there. Have mm-hmm. coffee with them. Develop a relationship with them. And there is something about when you have these women in front of you and you realize they are human beings, they have a passion for God, they have a passion to serve God, it becomes increasingly more difficult to not see that or to theologically justify that away. So find those stories, listen to women, listen, invite them, invite a group of women together that are a part of your community or maybe just a part of your faith community or part of your larger faith community in your city or or your neighborhood and have those conversations. My other thought besides listening to those stories is, and I think I'm, I'm, this is in response to Jen's very good point about there is already an obstacle inherent in if women aren't the, theologically in their belief system affirmed in either being an elder or leader or pastor or whatever, whatever it is. There are other faith traditions, pastors, that you can invite women in that are senior pastors. You don't, I mean, you don't have to believe in the presence of Jesus in the Eucharist to have a conversation about women in vocation, right? I mean, we don't need to stretch our theology, but inviting those women to have a conversation with a young woman that's in your ministry, that there may be some ministry mentor potential there. Introduce them, encourage them, have a petty fund so they can have coffee together. (laughs) Tap your seminaries. There are women in MDiv programs, in conservative traditions that would probably very much welcome a conversation with a a high schooler or would welcome a conversation with a well-seasoned ministry leader. Mm -hmm. So I I think we can transcend the boundaries of our own tradition because at the end of the day, we have different beliefs and there's differences, but the women, the problem with women in ministry vocations transcends denominations right? I mean, you could probably find a woman in every tradition, even the most welcoming of women in traditions, that there has been, there's a story there. She has a story. I think one of the simplest ideas I had while we were thinking about this question is that obviously whoever you are from wherever you're speaking from, especially if you're a pastor speaking from the pulpit, is to establish that from the pulpit to the women in your church, there is a Mm. relationship and you are speaking to women or not speaking to them from the pulpit in 
the language that you use, in the examples that you choose. I just finished a leadership class and we had to watch movies on leadership, which was like a great example, like secular movies. And not one of them had a female Mm. protagonist in it. And I took such issue that I emailed the professor to say like, I don't appreciate it. And if I have to listen to another documentary about Winston Churchill, I'll scream. Like, please. <laughs> Such me. a troublemaker. I am. I love it. Of it. the best kind. Of the, of best, the best, kind. best kind. But he let me do it. And because he couldn't That's review fantastic. my movies, I got to pick whatever moves I wanted. Yes. <laughs> but the point being, like, even in the example, like the sermon illustrations you choose or the movies yes. that you reference, mm-hmm. like who's in it? Who is it speaking to? Right? Can women in your, in your pews, in your classrooms, in your offices, in your seminars, mm-hmm. can they see themselves in what you're talking mm-hmm. about? And you don't have to like get real crazy theologically. You just need to identify that women exist in your church and make a point to say that. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> well, I was listening to a podcast with the late Rachel Held Evans, mm-hmm. and she was remarking on the, um, I forget what she called them, the texts of terror, I believe is the term. Mm -hmm. So like, especially in the old Testament where women are being sexually assaulted or dismembered or given away to the enemy or whatever. And there's a lot to unpack there, but her point in this, in this podcast was it's not even, even so much that those passages are there, although that can be troubling, you know, that they were included, but it's that when spiritual leaders and pastors talk about those passages, acknowledge that they are difficult. Mm. Like, don't try to explain them away. Don't try to say, well, there must've been a reason, you know, obviously they're in scripture for some reason, but, and I think just to kind of go with what Kim is saying is like, yes, with the illustrations you choose, I don't need to, I don't need to hear another illustration about your smoking hot wife, you know, but, or, or any, or whatever. Right. So I think that just being more aware that, statistics about church attendance are to be believed more than 50% of your listening audience is female. And we have a perspective and we have lived experiences that inform the way that we want to relate to each other and the way that we hear the text. Like, I mean, but I think also the texts that you choose, realizing that you are speaking, it's not just women, realizing that you're speaking to people of, of different uh, socioeconomic classes, people whose skin color might be darker than yours. Like there's mm-hmm. just a lot of yes. ways to be more mindful. And again, it's not that you have to water down anything theologically. It's, it's almost right. just a gesture of respect toward the people who are yeah. listening to you bring God's word to them. Mm-hmm. Right. So if we would love to hear the ideas, we'll also invite our listeners into a practice of sharing ideas. If you are a church leader or pastor that have found creative ways to encourage women, affirm their calling, or give them an opportunity to um, try on their ministry legs, you can go to our Facebook page, Shikleziology Listening Community, and share that with us and maybe start a conversation. We've given you a few here, um, but it would be kind of cool to see what else is happening out there. To bring it full circle to some of the stuff that we we read and listened to before before this conversation, where they talk about vocation as relating to all relational spheres. Mm. So it's it's really about responding obediently to the call to serve our neighbors and love, the call of God to serve others. And so much of this ties into prof- um, professional work because we spend so much of our lives at work and because it is, especially in our American individualistic society, it is such a big marker of who we are. 
And that's okay. But I think in the church, we have a unique opportunity. We can look beyond what someone does in their nine to five and, and think about what are all the different spheres of that person's life and how can they respond obediently to God's Mm -hmm. calling and the person that they are grammar Nazi, the person who they are (laughs) at, at work, they're the same core person in each of these different spheres. If they're in any way integrated as a person. And so uh, agreeing with everything that you said, Jane, but I think, and I think it's a very legitimate question to say, how can we create space and place for our our women to grow into Mm -hmm. these roles? But I think it's also helpful to remember that we can encourage both the men and the women, the young people and the older people in our congregation Mm -hmm. to constantly challenge them with what is the next thing God is calling you to do in obedience to him? How does that relate to your skills? How does that relate to your your past? And as you look back and you make sense of how you've been brought to this point, because there are meaningful ways that 14-year-olds can follow the call Mm -hmm. of God. And there are Mm -hmm. meaningful ways that 74-year-olds can follow the call of God. And neither of them are clocking a nine to five, but they still can be part of partnering with God's work in the world. So I think that's also, I guess, to make it practical from a church leader's perspective, don't be so locked into the programs that you have planned and all Mm -hmm. of the sermon series and the small group topics, create some space for the people in your congregation to come to you and say, you know what? I've noticed this issue in our city, or I've noticed Mm -hmm. this need that's not being met within our faith community. And I want to do something about it clear the path for that. But I think we can get everything so programmed that we don't leave room to move people toward how they can follow that calling, right? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So, hey, we'd like to push out the same question to our listeners. What role did community play in discerning and affirming your vocations in various seasons? And you might even give a mention, give a shout out to those that acknowledge your gifts and your calling, those that give you opportunities. Maybe they shared their pulpit with you or they shared their influence in some way. We will send a Shaklesiology Anti-Donut t-shirt to the first 10 listeners that post their story on our Facebook listener community page. You can also post a response on the Shaklesiology Instagram account. We'd love to hear your vocation story and the community that came around you and acknowledged your giftedness and affirmed your calling. 